Volume Three, Chapter Three of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: If I can love you, I will. To dine within the precincts of the House of Commons had become of late sessions the thing for ladies to do. The House of Commons is not gallant or hospitable in its dealings with ladies it sets apart a dingy stifling cage for them to huddle in while debates are going on a woman must sometimes feel that her lot is for the time a little like that of bourgeoisie or the unfortunate cardinal immured by louis the eleventh the house of commons provides women with a tiny antechamber wherein they can dine as many of them as can find places there off a bit of steak or chop fetched up from the restaurant on the lower floor it does not permit them to enter the members dining room or to have a cup of tea in the members tea room for a long time the only common ground whereon members of parliament and their wives and daughters and women friends might feed together was the terrace and the only refreshment obtainable there was of the afternoon tea order of later years however a step in the way of reform was made a small subterranean dining room which used to be occupied mainly by persons interested in parliamentary proceedings but not themselves in parliament began to be turned to account by members who wished to entertain their women-folk at a solid and substantial dinner it was used very infrequently at first some knowing member found out its existence and slyly took his wife there and told of it to some very particular friend in order that he too should give his women the benefit of an occasional feast the news began to spread the practice began to increase it was a great advantage to ladies who liked to listen to a debate that they could have a dinner a real dinner on the premises and then go back to their seats in the gallery by degrees the advantages of the subterranean dining-room became widely known and at last it grew to be the right sort of thing for members to make up little dinner parties for their women friends one natural result of this was that the competition for tables in the rooms there were only two rooms in all one public one private became very keen and one had to order a table as many days in advance as if it were a box at the lyceum bellarmine had engaged the private room his dinner party was to be made up of lady saxon mary beaton and lady struthers sir victor champion general falcon tressel a young member of his own party and himself lord saxon was away not supposing that anything of real importance could come of tressel's stock motion he had at his wife's instigation taken the opportunity to run down to the country to look after some private business of his own he had originally been included in the invitation but his presence would not have been altogether agreeable to lady saxon under the conditions she wondered within herself what he would say on the morrow when he read the leading articles when the debate on trussell's motion was over bellarmine went up to the ladies gallery to collect his guests nothing more of any consequence was to come on that evening but there were two or three other motions which were certain to be discussed for some hours and before the inevitable count of the ordinary tuesday evening had been reached they were waiting in the corridor where quite a little stream of women had emptied itself out of the gallery and where they had already been joined by colonel towers and miss beaton's first pioneer in the house of commons the scotch member mr levin 
lady mavis redhouse had been vehemently denouncing champion and radical principles in general and lady saxon was standing by with an indifferent smile while colonel towers was remarking in his pompous manner the fact is lady mavis champion ought to have lived five centuries sooner that was the age for dialecticians st thomas and duns scotus and the rest of them weren't in it with our lucifer it wouldn't have been st thomas you may be sure it would be st victor lady mavis made a rush at bellarmine and so did madame spinola and so did poor hungry jenny rivers all carmen and white and smiles and grimaces you wicked young man how could you cried lady mavis in indignant reproach what is the meaning of this what would de carmel have said he who always spoke so nicely of you it's enough to make him turn in his grave mr bellarmine no don't come near me don't speak to me you are a traitor remember you young hero that you are going to be the lion of my party to-morrow night i shall never forgive you now if you don't turn up said madame spinola effusively and oh rolf i felt so proud of you mrs rivers exclaimed affectionately stretching out her slim hand in its soiled swedish kid tan glove and patting him on the arm it is something to be a pal of yours the young man cut the congratulations and anathema short his eyes looking over and beyond them all he was flushed elated he knew that he had spoken well and made a sensation but he did not want the praises of a madame spinola or a jenny rivers he wanted a sympathetic smile or glance from mary stuart beaton he saw that mary was looking at mrs rivers with a kind of gentle scorn in her eyes she was wondering perhaps why this woman called him by his christian name and what sort of claim she had upon him how should she his white queen understand the ways and manners of women of the jenny rivers class he felt an impulse of unreasoning indignation against the poor little harmless flirt miss beaton he began and paused waiting for her to say something to congratulate him to tell him that she had liked his speech but she said nothing all his impetuous warmth was checked by something strange and cold in her she only smiled upon him in distant friendliness and looked very tall and stately miss beaton he repeated i hope you were amused and interested yes she answered i think mr tressel is very amusing and i was very much interested and lady saxon must be very pleased mr bellarmine that you are on her side now an expression of annoyance passed over his face he made an impatient gesture but you he said it is your side i am on sir victor's side if i have got any side she answered calmly i admire sir victor and you know i told you that i believe in him there he is and she threw a bright welcoming glance towards sir victor himself who was coming towards them from one of the committee rooms which opened into the corridor lady mavis fled at the sight of her arch-enemy and madame spinola and mrs rivers the latter with a plaintive good-bye to bellarmine and an audible now i suppose we must see what they can bring us to eat up in this dreary place moved to the ladies anteroom lady saxon detained sir victor her face which in its brightest beauty was always of the earth and just a little hard 
seemed now etherealized by the intense sympathy it expressed as she raised it to his the first blow is struck she murmured and the victory will be yours she made him turn with her and they began to walk slowly down the corridor talking earnestly the while bellarmin followed with mary beaton and lady struthers general falcon was to meet us in the dining-room and i suppose we ought to be collecting our forces and going down there he said with forced lightness sir victor will you lead the way with lady saxon you know we have to go into dark subterranean regions i hope you are not afraid of dining in a dungeon lady struthers the little room with its oak dado and green walls and the portrait of the late speaker hanging over the oak sideboard its many crimson shaded candles and the pair of politicians with falcon discussing the debate did not look much like a dungeon however when after threading the long dim stone passages bellarmin and his party reached it at last bellarmin had taken great pains over his little banquet he had himself superintended the arrangement of the table and had given the order for the decorations which in subtle compliment to mary beaton were all pure white roses displayed in form as exquisite as the art of florists could devise the only fault about it so miss beaton and lady saxon declared was that it might have been a dinner anywhere instead of an especially house of commons dinner and that even the alarum of the division bell tingling brassily did not occasion the least flurry or excitement because all the pairing had been carefully settled beforehand lady saxon sat on bellarmin's right and mary beaton on his left sir victor champion had been placed on the other side of lady saxon and miss beaton had mr tressel on her right lady saxon was in good hope that bellarmin would pay attention to miss beaton for the most part and that she herself should have a good deal of champion much as it pleased her to play at love-making with bellarmin and her whispered congratulations to him this evening and thrilling pressure of his hand could have left him nothing to desire in the matter of earnestness and sincerity still her feelings were so terribly concentrated on champion and she suffered so many agonies of jealousy and doubt when he and mary beaton were in each other's company that on occasions such as this she found it almost impossible to practise her ordinary wiles or to keep up her affectation of sovereign indifference so though the conversation from the smallness of the party had to be more or less general she contrived to talk a good deal to champion bending close to him and speaking in a low earnest tone that seemed to imply some confidential communication bellarmin was left a little out in the cold for mary's attention appeared engrossed by tressel who made her laugh at the amusing stories he drawled imperturbably forth of his experiences as an attache in a grand ducal court on the whole the dinner was less satisfactory to the principal persons concerned than might have been expected and no one was very sorry when a move was made to the terrace and coffee was ordered and cigarettes were produced and by and by the party broke up into twos who passed and repassed as they slowly promenaded up and down the night was very dark warm and moist and a little muggy not even starlit there was only the yellow light from the library windows overhead and the faint illumination of the feeble lamps at intervals along the terrace the river looked black and mysterious and very still close to the parapet it scarcely rippled against the stone embankment 
Further away, it was crossed by long perpendicular lines of alternate light and shadow, the reflections from the lamps on the opposite side, across which every now and then a ghostly black barge floated. A certain spectral loneliness in the scene, the broad river, the scattered and fantastic jets of light, the feeling of separation from city movement and from any traffic that could be heard, the subdued sound from the bridges on either side, the sense of taking part in a phase of existence in the center of, and yet completely isolated from, that of the teeming millions round. All this appealed to Mary, as indeed did many a curious contrast in the life of the House of Commons, from the dramatic and artistic aspect. It moved her. She enjoyed it even while it oppressed her with something of dreariness and bewilderment. She was sitting silent, sipping her coffee with falcon erect and watchful behind her chair, when Sir Victor deliberately left Lady Saxon, with whom he had been talking, and who had at that moment turned to Bellarmine and approached her. "'Miss Beaton,' he said, "'if you have finished your coffee, won't you take a turn with me? I have an idea about our Southwark parish that I want to tuck over with you.' She got up readily and threw off a little wrap which Falcon had begged her to put on. "'No, my dear General, not while I am walking. I don't want it now.' "'Very well, madame,' he said, bowing. "'I will bring it to you if I see you sitting again.' They strolled along the three narrow tracks, which Lady Saxon had once pointed out to Sir Victor, and to which he now called Mary's attention. There were a great many people on the terrace, but they lounged mostly towards the middle of the walk, and the light was so dim that it was impossible, except just under a lamp, to make out who was who. Sir Victor and Mary kept to the western end, which was comparatively deserted. His manner seemed a little agitated, she thought, not so smoothly impressive and rhetorical as it usually was, even in ordinary conversation. Perhaps he was excited at the turn events had taken that evening, at the first note of the war clarion, which had sounded, it struck her as strange that he should come calmly to discuss the question of cooperative supply for the Southwark poor, and should ignore the political development which must surely be engrossing his inmost thoughts. Her own being was in a vague tumult of expectation and anxiety. Was this caused by the debate that afternoon? What did she know or care in the abstract about English political questions? Her interest must be purely personal, and— was it the thought of Sir Victor's triumph or defeat which set her nerves tingling and her bosom fluttering? After all, probably the incident of today was nothing very important to Sir Victor. It was only to an outsider like herself that it seemed of consequence. To him it was but part of the game he had been playing for so many years and to the turns of which he must have grown accustomed. And yet he did seem excited and unlike himself. She said nothing of what was in her mind, but listened to his suggestions and talked out the matter of cooperative purchase and discussed the creche, and then there fell a silence upon them both. Suddenly Mary exclaimed, "'Sir Victor, did you expect that Mr. Bellarmine would throw over his party like that?' He seemed to pull himself as if from a dream. "'Yes,' he answered. "'I expected it.' A conversation I had with Mr. Bellarmine at Stonehenge Park, the only talk I have had with him on the subject, led me to believe that he would come with us, some way at least, in a measure of reform. 
I saw then that his convictions pointed in a radical direction. Ah! Mary breathed an unconscious sigh of relief. I'm glad of that, she said simply. I am glad that his convictions led him, and not— She stopped. You thought that perhaps some influence had been brought to bear upon him, said Champion quickly. Some influence apart from his own judgment? I thought that Lady Saxon might have persuaded him, she answered, still simply. Sir Victor did not reply for a moment. The Tories have made a false move, he said then. Bellarmine would probably have modified his own views to any measure of reform they might have thought fit to bring in, had they treated him fairly and shown themselves unprejudiced and ready to sink party rancor for the good of their country. Now I hope that he will let his convictions have the rein, and that he will come with us. But I have not tried to influence him, Miss Beaton, and I shall not try to influence him now, or to turn his peak against his party, which is very natural, to the advantage of my party. I have too great a respect for independent judgment. I only wished at Stonehenge Park that he should judge me fairly and give me credit for having offered to cooperate with the Tories. I should like to feel that I had your sympathy, Madame, Miss Beaton. Indeed, she said warmly, I could not help sympathizing with you, Sir Victor, for I am sure that in all you want to do you have only the good of your country at heart. We will not talk politics any more tonight, he said, after another short pause, and there was a note of melancholy in his voice. A man playing the game has his moments of depression and reaction, in which he feels that it is rather an ignoble game after all. Oh, no, she interrupted eagerly. It could never be ignoble to a man like you. Well, he said, still sadly, there are moments, at any rate, in which he would rather keep a woman he cared for away from the ignoble part of it, the ungenerous strife, the party passion, which is apt to carry away even the most single-minded. I suppose not one of us public men is quite ready to admit that a particular woman influences him in his political life, but I think there is often such a woman, and I think he feels her influence strongest upon him when he wants her to look aside from the maneuvers of the game. Mary looked at him swiftly and doubtfully, but his face was in shadow. "'But you,' she began impulsively, "'you have such a great career before you. "'Life must be so full of interest and reality for you. "'There must be so many things which a woman could never understand "'or really enter into. "'Never, I think, in our times at least. "'But a woman can share a man's career and a man's cause "'and his desire to make his country happy "'without coming down and entering into the strife.' and she can share his ambition, if you will. She can be ambitious for him and with him. I don't mean mere ignoble personal ambition, but the ambition that makes men do great things, in all that a woman can share. Yes, that must be delightful, Mary said, in a dreamy way. I have often thought of that, and I can't think of anything more splendid for a woman than to form part of the life and the career of some man whom she— and then she stopped. She was going to say whom she loves, but a certain shyness came over her. Was she thinking then of Victor Champion or of someone else? Sir Victor looked into her face. Her eyes were cast down. 
just at that moment they were turning in their walk some man whom she loves you were going to say yes i can quite understand that i am sure miss beaton that you would make part of the life and the career of any man you loved if only he were a man worthy of you i wish that i could be that man she looked up surprised and a little troubled you sir victor what made you think of that she really had not got at his meaning what made me think of that i have not for some time been thinking much of anything else let me come to it at once i cannot lose this opportunity miss beaton i admire you i sympathize with you i love you come will you be my wife sir victor oh please don't speak in that way don't speak of such a thing you know how i admire you how could i help admiring you and you know how i sympathize with you but i have never thought of anything else such an idea never came into my mind i never for a moment supposed that you thought of me in in that sort of way no i think i did keep my secret well to myself but it had to be told and i tell it come i don't ask you to love me in any romantic or passionate way mary i am not young enough to be loved by a girl in that way she made an impatient but not an unkindly gesture no no it isn't that she said i have had my day he went on i do not ask a girl for what i must feel that a girl could not give me now i don't ask that kind of love from you but i love you i have grown terribly young again in that feeling i find and i am sure i could do much to make your life happy and i know that you could do everything to make mine i am a lonely man mary very lonely in all my crowds and my movements i don't know why it is that you alone seem to make me feel that i am not made for this loneliness and that there is one companionship for which i would give up everything else that i prize most on earth think of it i will give you that career which you said you would delight in for you will come to love me in an affectionate and tender way I know what your nature is and i will do all that man can do to win you and you will make life sweet to me and some day long hence when life begins to be only a retrospect to you you will be glad to remember all the good you did for me let me ask you again mary will you he stopped in his walk and made her stop too he had been speaking in subdued earnest tone no ordinary promenader on the terrace would have supposed that any romantic episode of this kind was taking place but there were two persons on the terrace who watched every movement of champion and mary two persons who at that moment would have given a world to hear the low-toned conversation which a jealous instinct told to both was something more than the ordinary after-dinner babble of a man of the world and a pretty girl these two were lady saxon and general falcon when sir victor and mary began their walk lady saxon also rose and moved uneasily glancing at falcon as if to bid him be on guard and just then the editor of a great daily paper to which bellarmine was suspected of contributing came up to him and with an apology begged for a few words on a matter of importance it was the question of a cue for the morrow's leader bellarmine and the editor moved apart and lady saxon and general falcon strolled on almost in silence
they understood each other or at any rate lady saxon understood falcon and each was trying to catch what sir victor and mary were saying they kept on the house side nearly abreast of the two whom they were watching and who engrossed by their talk and not keen to observe in that dim light did not pay any attention to the other couples on the terrace as champion's last words spoken with low passionate sincerity thrilled lady saxon's strained ears she touched falcon and with a swift silent movement withdrew into the shadow of that unlighted and seldom used gateway which opens on to the more westerly end of the terrace as silently and swiftly falcon did likewise sir victor and mary had halted by an abutting projection which screened them somewhat from the lively crowd down near the stranger's smoking-room and which with the buttress of the archway formed a sort of shadowy nook more appropriate perhaps than any other part of the terrace for the scene of tender confidences though they could not readily see or be seen by the eavesdroppers pressed close against the great iron gates swung in the recess of the archway every word they uttered was distinctly audible mary sighed she was touched by champion's appeal and she could not but feel a swelling of pride in her breast at the thought of such a man's admiration but the feeling uppermost in her mind was one of mere surprise and confusion she had no doubt about her own decision what she was thinking of was how to get out of the embarrassment with the least pain to him she took her usual course that of frank outspokenness dear sir victor for you are very dear to me i do so admire you this can't be fancy how new and strange it all is to me i never thought of you as a man to make any such offer to a girl like me and don't you think i should have had thoughts of that kind if if it were possible that i could accept your offer i should have had heart beatings shouldn't i whenever you came near me i should have been trembling at every word you said when we began to walk here together to-night is not that enough that very fact no sir victor you are worthy of a woman who loved you with her whole soul and there must be many women who could love you in that way if only they had the happy chance of being near you as i have been still he said in deep tones tremulous with feeling when i tell you i do not expect that kind of love ah but i do expect it she said quickly i mean that i could not marry where i did not feel like that don't you understand me oh yes for you have loved and been loved before this not by such a woman as you i have never loved any woman as i love you mary this is life or death to me he was passionately in earnest none of the three who heard him could doubt that his voice trembled with excitement although it was so low that exquisitely melodious voice which had once wooed in how different a fashion the silent listening woman whose heart it pierced now as by the thrust of a dagger lady saxon was brave she made no sign but for a moment it seemed to her that her death agony had come it was as though all the blood had gone from her body as though a cord had been snapped and she were hurled on illimitable space in such moments of crisis the very bonds of being are loosed she could not breathe all was dark seconds or hours might have passed she did not know at last she drew a long shuddering sigh 
a strange uncanny sound it might have been the wail of a tortured spirit so far off and inhuman it seemed and then again all her senses were strung to alertness as mary answered him i cannot sir victor she said simply is that he asked your final answer is that my sentence my sentence of death how can you speak so she asked in some alarm the sentence of death to my hopes if i must give an answer yes sir victor then don't give an answer now he said catching eagerly at a little straw of hope take time think it over give me that much chance do me that much justice i think i am worth that at all events mary ask counsel of your reason as well as your heart don't decide without thought oh no i entreat of you she was deeply moved i don't know she said i don't believe it would make any difference but still if you wish sir victor i don't think i ought to refuse you this it makes me feel ashamed to think that so great a man so really great a man should care about a girl in that way and should have to bend to ask her even for the favor of a longer consideration but as you wish it i i don't think i ought to refuse i thank you from my whole heart but you understand what i mean you quite understand it she said in dread of some misunderstanding or complication yes i understand a great deal too well if you are to give me an answer now if i press you for an instant answer it must be a refusal but you are willing to put off the final answer until to-morrow or the day after only promising me that in the meantime you will really think it fairly out you will not merely take the time and let the time pass you will come to my question with an open mind with a mind as open as you can he added and he smiled a melancholy smile there was a chivalric tenderness in his manner which touched mary to the heart dear sir victor she said in an outburst of sudden emotion how i wish i could give you the answer you would like to have since you would really like to have it you deserve to be loved and i could love you if some things were different what things he interrupted do you mean that you love some other man no no she said hurriedly if i were different if but there's no use in talking about it i sometimes fancy that i am an unnatural sort of girl and that is little wonder since i was not brought up like other girls as she spoke falcon's heart beat wildly for him too in his frenzy of upleaping hope the world seemed to stand still you must not be thrown away on a woman who does not fondly love you mary went on oh i wish i could be the woman who did so love you i do i do sir victor i will say what a moment ago a bare moment ago i did not think i could have said i will look into my heart i will come to the question with an open mind yes with a wish to please you give me a few days and then come and see me and you shall have your answer and if i can love you i will a faint metallic worse startled them startled mary and awoke champion from his lover's dream division bell i think said a member hurrying by i don't suppose it is anything of importance oh you had better go said mary in an agitated manner when the member had passed on don't mind me indeed i would rather be alone for a minute or two and there is general falcon somewhere on the terrace 
End of Volume 3, Chapter 3